0: Amen. And at this time, uh, the toddlers through uh, third grade can meet their, their teacher in the back there. And for those children who decide to stay in here, there is your famous uh, word search. And I discovered a few weeks ago when I, I was doing them by hand, and I left words out, and I had blank spaces. In, and then someone said, hey, do you know there's something online that you can just plug in and it makes it for you? And I obviously did not, Right. So so there's a word search. And every one of these words have to do with the message. So uh, if you do this, you, you, you can talk to your kids at home and say, hey, what does this word I have to do with the message? And there's a picture to color. And as always, we got, the, we got the candy deal up here, right? If you do this, I bribe you with candy. And that's always a good thing. And if any adult wants to do that, I guess I'll give you candy too. All right, yeah. Hey, I, I, want, to, I want to encourage you to really lean in to the words I'm about to read from the breath of God and from the pen of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing it's talking about how God is the one who created the stars. And, uh, and there's like a lot of stars out there, and if you knew that or not, there are billions of galaxies, billions and billions and billions of stars. But one of my favorite stars of all time is this, this star right here, Canis Majoris, right? It, it, it's big. Uh, like the Earth is 24,000 miles around, okay? Uh, 9.3 billion Earths would fit into the sun. All right? Now, excuse me, 9.3 billion suns would fit into this, to this star. All right? You know how many earths would fit into this star? 729 trillion earths would fit inside that star. And God is the one. Right? Who can you compare him to, right? You look up in the heavens. Does that blow you away? I mean, that's who we're singing to, right? We're not just making this stuff up. That's crazy. If you don't think that's crazy, you're crazy. All right. Um, uh, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Ever feel that way? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Are you weary? He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. God, forgive us at times, Lord, for forgetting just how big and majestic and powerful and amazing you are your greatness is beyond our comprehension God how you can I mean we're standing on a planet that's floating in space that's spinning a thousand miles an hour in a circle Lord that's hurling through the sun around the sun right now God and and you just spoke these things into existence and you hold everything together Um, you breathe life into us you create life and there's no one like you God And God, I just pray today that we'll begin to renew in our hearts and minds just how great you are. Help us take our eyes off the world and the cares of this world and put them on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's do this. This is week eight of our series, Such Things Were Written, and today we're going to have a conversation that I'm calling, How Big Is Your God? And the theme verse has not changed. You know, Paul is writing in Romans 15, verse 4, and he says, such things were written in the Scriptures long ago. Like There's a reason behind it to teach us. And they give us hope. And they give us encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. One of my favorite authors and theologians uh, uh, wrote these words, and I've quoted them many times before because they're so good. His name is A.W. Tozer. And he says this, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending upon her concept of God. I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. Our religion is little because our God is little. Our religion is ignoble, not honorable in character and person, because the God we serve is ignoble is not honorable in character and person. We do not see God as he is. Question, you think it could be that simple? Is that a real problem? That the number one challenge we face, it isn't cultural, it isn't circumstantial, it's not even from within ourselves, but it's in how you and I perceive God. That we have an unworthy concept of God. That we have a lack of understanding of how great, and how big our star-breathing, ocean-holding, sea-parting, giant-slaying, wall-crumbling God really is. I mean, seriously, is it possible that if you and I just had a different perspective, that we had, if we had an unyielding belief, if we had a, a different understanding of who God is, that it would change our lives in powerful and significant ways? I think the answer is absolutely. Yeah, I I think that my problem and your problem is an unworthy concept of God. That our God is much too small. Now behind me, I have a box. Anybody ever see one of these? Anybody ever move? Anybody like moving? You know, there, there, there was a time. In a five-year period when, when Laurie and I were renting, where we moved five times in five years. Uh, when I left high school to go into the United States Navy to keep the world safe for democracy on board submarines to hope of the world for military-wise, all right? Uh, yay, submariners, right? But since that time, I've moved 21 times at least. That's a lot. Now, boxes come in various sizes. You have small boxes and big boxes and medium boxes. This is a, a medium box, and, and, and this is my box of choice. It's like my favorite kind of box to use. I mean, it's, it's big enough that you can fit a lot of stuff in, but it's also not too big that, that you can handle it, right? And, and when I was a rookie mover, what I did was I would grab the biggest box I could find, and I would shove everything I could inside that box, Right? Makes sense, right? Less boxes It's a lot quicker. Only problem was that it would take about 12 people to carry that box, and usually, right, it, it would bust through the bottom. And so after time, I became a big fan of the medium-sized box. I don't know if that's your favorite box. It certainly is mine because I can manage that box. So that's what I go with. And I think that's what many of us have done with God. We've put God in a a medium-sized box. It's not too big. And not so big that we we can't handle it. And not so big that we can't put our arms around it. It's big enough, but not too big that, that we can't manage it. We want to be able to manage this box. We want to be able to manage God. So God... Here's your box. I hope you find it nice and comfortable. And some of us were maybe handed this box by a family member of a, or a church, and they said, hey, this is who God is, and, and, and this is what God can do. We know how God works, and we just kind of accepted that. But what I'm hoping will happen today is, is that no matter what size box we have for God, we'll begin to see that If it's a box and you're trying to put God in it, it's much too small. Get it? Good. And and here's why this makes a huge difference. You see, if you have a a small God that fits in a box, then your life is going to be filled with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and a lot of pressure because your God isn't big enough to help you out. He isn't big enough to show up and to do something about whatever it is you're facing. So a lot of stress, and a lot of anxiety. And if your God is big enough to fit in the box, your life is going to be kind of uh, boring and mundane and predictable because your God is never going to ask you to take a risk, to take a challenge, to go and do anything that does not seem to be safe. If your God fits in the box, challenges are always going to be overwhelming. And situations in your life are always going to feel helpless because your God isn't big enough to fix them, to heal them, or to redeem them. And therefore, the challenge, the burden, the situation, totally rests on you. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that the struggle or the hardship or the challenge or the difficulty or the dream or the hope that you have is totally dependent upon you, that if you don't make it happen, it's not going to happen? Let me just ask you, is it possible that in your life that you have put God in a box, that you have limited who the star-breathing, ocean-holding, sea-parting, giant-slaying God really is? making him smaller and smaller. And, and see, my, my hope this morning really isn't that you'll say, you know what, I, I need to go get a bigger box for God. You know, my hope is that you will just toss out this idea of a box altogether. Amen? And let God be as big as he really is, as that song we like to sing around, around here is, you know, he's bigger than... We think he is, or the song I, "You're bigger than I thought you were." Right? I guarantee, you, no matter how big you think God is, no matter all the awesome things you think I can do or I think He can do, He is so much bigger than that. And there's a guy in the Old Testament I, I want us to look at today, and because I'm convinced that He can help us do just that. He can help us get rid of our boxes. His, his name is David. Now, David is a very high-profile guy in Scriptures. He wrote, over, he wrote over 70 Psalms. There are over 60 chapters in the Bible dedicated to him. He's mentioned over 50 times in the, in the New Testament. He was a king. He was a warrior. He was a, he was a man who chased after the heart of God. And what I want to look at is like, uh, I want to look at four chapters of David's life. And the first chapter I'm calling God's Anointing. He can use anyone. He can use anyone. As chapter 16 of 1 Samuel opens up, we meet David for the first time. And he's probably about the age of a freshman in high school, probably about 13 or 14 years of age. He's working for his dad as as a shepherd. And being a shepherd was like the lowest of low jobs. It was like the chore that you never wanted to do as a kid. The description for a shepherd was to watch sheep. That's it. Pretty exciting. And in this not so exciting job, David looked for ways to pass the time. You know he passed the time? He passed the time by singing songs and slinging rocks. And I wonder if those two things would ever come in handy one day. But little did David know that all that was about to change because the prophet Samuel was coming into town, to his town, to see his family to anoint the very next king. And so here's the scene. David's seven brothers are all at the house because each of them looked like a great candidate for the job. Now Jesse's dad, he, he knows why Samuel's coming. He knows he's coming to, the, to anoint the next king. And so, so he has his seven sons ready to go. I mean, the resumes are paired. They're dressed in their best. Each one looks like a first-round draft pick. And so Samuel gets there, and he looks around, and he sees Jesse's firstborn, Eliab, and he's like, okay, game over. This is the guy we want. Number one draft pick overall. I mean, he's thinking, God, are are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, I I think you're seeing what I'm seeing. He's so sure that he's the guy that he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before him. If this isn't a guy, tell me God, because He's got it all. He's impressive. Everything looks perfect. He's checked all the boxes, sent everybody else back home. But then God says, no, Lyab, he's not the one. And, and I find this kind of interesting because Samuel's been with God for a while and he's seen God do some pretty amazing things, but Samuel still has he still has God in the box because You know, he's limiting who God can use and who God can choose to accomplish his will. You see, Samuel, like many of us, was still judging by what he sees. And then God explains to Samuel, hey, here's the process. Here's what I use to vet my number one draft pick, the guy I want to accomplish my will and purpose. He says this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. What does man look at? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, Samuel, you're looking at this all wrong. You're looking at the outward appearance. You're, you're caught up in the way that this guy looks on the outside. But Samuel, that's not how I do things. That's not how I roll. Instead, I, I look much deeper. I look, I, look, I look deeper than the surface appearance. I look at the heart. God says that man looks at what? He looks at the outward appearance. Is that true? Like, is that What mankind, is that what culture does, look at the outside of people and form opinions based on how people look on the outside? I think they do. And and, and I would be seriously amiss to not mention something right now. Something that's gaining traction in our country. It's an idea, it's a way of thinking, it's a movement that divides people. It's a way of thinking, and it's not new. It's been a plague on our country for centuries it's an idea, it's a belief that the color of someone's skin, you know, how much melanin they have, is the most important thing about them. Maple Grove, I reject that completely. Because God rejects that completely. Because all men are made in the image of God. I understand, the gospel is not about race, the gospel is about Grace. It's not about dividing people into groups based on their outward appearance, but it's about bringing people together based on the fact that they're all part of the family of God. And understand, when the church began, that there were some ideas that have been dividing people for centuries: dividing Jew and Gentile, dividing male and female, dividing slave and free. And God wanted Paul to tell the church that in the church, in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, in God's family, that's not how things are to be. And so he says this in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have closed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. He's not talking like those things don't exist, right? He's saying, this division that has been separating people for so long no longer exists in the kingdom of God and God's family, for you're all one in Christ. Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know, 50 years ago, 50 plus years ago, God called a man to help our country wake up to the sin of racism. And he spoke words that still echo today and need to be heard and believed once again today. His, his name was Martin Luther King Jr. And he spoke that famous speech at the Lincoln Memorial where he said these words. I have a dream. I think God would agree with this dream. That my four children one day live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Amen? And listen, there is a movement, there is a philosophy, there is a trend in our culture today that wants to divide people up by the color of their skin. I reject those ideas. Understand, when you see anger, hatred, violence, division, injustice, and rage, it is not a skin problem, it is a sin problem. God does not look at the things man looks at. God does not judge by the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. He looks at the character. And so should we as God's people. So so how do we respond? And the craziness is out there. With Jesus? With the gospel? Now, Now we must not deny that people of color have suffered serious injustice throughout the history of our country and at times they still do today. But we must reject any ideology that divides people based on the color of their skin. And that just promotes division across people. It is not consistent with Christianity. Amen. We must reject all forms of racism. We must fight to achieve liberty and justice for all. We must reject and speak out against the violence and hatred and that's running rampant on our streets. Two police officers were assaulted this morning in ambush and are on life support right now just because they're police officers. We must hold our leaders accountable. We must demand that our media speak the truth and quit fanning the flames of this division. We must humble ourselves before God and we must choose to do better and be part of that solution, whatever that is. Father, God, we need your help as a people and as a church. God, we know your heart mourns when you see people being divided by their outward appearance. And and God, at times we feel powerless to know what to do, God. But God, I just pray that right now you would help us, you would help me to know what you want us to do, to stand in the gap for you, to stand up for the gospel, or stand up for the truth that all men are created in your image, God, that that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, black or white, that we are all one in your family, God. God, you're a God that unites and brings people together. Father, I pray for the people who have suffered injustice. I pray for those who are suffering right now because their shops, they put their lives in, have been burned, the police officers who leave home and may not know if they're coming home. God, we need your help. And God, each of us, you probably have something you want us to do. Help me be open to it, God. Help me not put what you want me doing what what you want me to do in a box. Amen. God's anointing; He can use anybody. So Samuel works his way down the line, and. He gets through all seven brothers, and each one, strike one, strike two, strike three, strike four, strike five, strike six, and it starts getting a little bit awkward because Samuel has no idea that that, that Jesse has another son out there. And finally, he's like, "Hey, like, do you have anything in the back room I could take a look at? Because nothing here fits." Well, I have one more son, but he's the youngest, and little translation is not age; it means well he's the runt of the litter. I got one more, but he's a runt of the litter. He's out in the field. Samuel says, go get him. David comes, and guess what happens? In verse 12, God says, rise up and anoint him because he's the one. Again, probably about a a freshman in high school. I mean, imagine the scene in the living room that day. (laughs) I mean, seven brothers, all in perfect suits with impressive resumes, all lined up, ready for the cover of GQ and Sports Illustrated. And David shows up in jeans and a t shirt and sandals with acne on his face, smelling like a sheep. And God says, Yeah, that one. He's the one I want to use. God's anointing, he can use anybody. Maple Grove, God says, Don't put his anointing in a box because God's going to use some people he, you might not think he would use. And listen, the truth, the God can use anybody, is a dominant theme throughout scripture. It's hard to miss. But we tend to miss it, right? And we tend to think that the Creator can't use everybody. I mean, you think, you know what, I'm too old, it's too late. Really? Have you heard of Abraham and Sarah? When God wanted to create a new nation, He chose an elderly, infertile couple to get the job done. You say, you know what, I'm too guilty. I've sinned too much. Really? really? Have you heard of Rahab, the prostitute? Have you heard of Paul, the terrorist who had Christians killed and murdered and put in prison, tore families apart? You say, I'm too scared. I'm just too afraid. I'm too weak. God's calling me to something so much bigger than I am. Have you heard of Gideon who was hiding in a wine press when God called him a a mighty warrior? See, this is the story of the Bible. God just picking out anybody to do what he needs them to do. A guy named Carl Henry wrote these words about the next generation of Christian leaders. He says this, Many of them are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the great apostle to the Gentiles? And who knew that God would raise up C.S. Lewis or Charles Coulson who were once unbelievers? The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin fish on his bumper. The next Charles Wesley might be a profane womanizer, hip hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house at the moment. And then the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic today. We think, no way is God going to use somebody like that. No way is God going to use somebody like me. Really? Because that's not what we see in the Bible. Listen, if you think it's If you think it's too late or you messed up too many times or you're too weak or too timid and too ungifted, have you been paying attention to who God uses to accomplish his will? I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. was just a pastor in a small church in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. Just a dude, right? He was just a dude and God called him and look what God was able to do through this man. He's not a perfect man, because there are no perfect men except Jesus. But look what God was able to do through one guy from a small church in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're talking about him even today. God's anointing. He can use anybody, which means he can use you. Do you believe that? God's power, he can do. He can do anything. After David's anointing, you know what he does? He goes back tending sheep. He gets a part-time gig as a harpist for the king. And then in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, he's about 18 or 19. He's not 20 yet because he's not old enough to be in the the army. And his dad calls on him and says, hey, you know what? Your brothers are out there in the war front against the Philistines. I want you to check on them. I want you to take them some food. When David arrives, you know the story. You know, there's no fighting going on because there's this giant in the valley taunting the people of Israel. And we're not going to go into much detail because we talked about this back on July 26 in a, in a message called This is the Lord's Battle. But however, what, what I want you to realize that that day when David arrived, there were thousands of warriors standing there and every single one of them, including King Saul, had put God in the box. I mean, not one of them believed that God was big enough thousands of warriors but not one of them believed that their God was big enough to use them to step into the valley and to fight Goliath. Their God was much too small. And they did what frightened small God people always do. They get consumed and held in bondage by that those two words, what if? What if Goliath wins? What if I lose and die? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take the land? And, and those two words consume God's people today when their God is too small and they doubt and limit His power. What if the economy doesn't recover? What if it is cancer? What if COVID never goes away? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if the next storm hits closer to my house? What what if I can't do it? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I fail? What if I get hurt? What if, what if, what if? See, what if dominates our lives when our God is too small. What I love about David, David doesn't see the what if of the situation. Instead, he sees the who is of the situation. He doesn't see the what if. He sees the who is of the situation. You see, I think David would be offended by the title we've given that great battle In the Valley of Elah, we call it the battle of David and Goliath. He would say, you got it all wrong. (laughs) It wasn't the battle between David and Goliath. It was a battle between God and Goliath. Because it was God who won the battle and not me. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone somewhere will know that the Lord rescues His people, and not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give us to you. And there's an entire army overcome with fear, because their God is in box and they're saying, "It can't be done. And that's what happens when our God is in a box. God can't do that, God can't heal, God can't forgive, God can't use, God can't provide, God can't redeem, God can't help you overcome, defeat, or turn things around. And and, and anytime we say it, I, I think David would say, maybe your God can't because your God is in a box, but my God can because my God can do anything and nothing is too hard for him. God's anointing, he can use anyone. God's power, he can do anything. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? I, I, I mean, is there something in your life right now that you'd think is just too big for God? It could be a relational challenge, a job challenge, a health challenge, an emotional challenge, physical challenge, whatever it is. Is there something you think, that, you know what? I know he breathes out stars that can hold 729 trillion earths, but I think I found something a little bit too difficult for him. Now to him who is able to, to able to do immeasurably more than, we all, than all we ask or imagine. If that's true. That's kind of crazy, right? According to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. The next chapter in David's story is God's timing anytime. And, and I think i A lot of us put God, I do, in a box when it comes to timing. Because we want God to fit into our calendar. We want God to do things on our time schedule. And so this is how it works. God, I believe in who you are, and I know you have the power to move and do great things. And here's how much time you have. (laughs) Could you do it by next Friday at 3 p.m.? Think about it. David is anointed king, but it takes over 14 years before he wears a crown. Fourteen years of waiting. Now, most of it's spent hiding from a crazy king who learned of his anointing, is jealous of, of his popularity, and wants nothing more than to see him dead. Okay, and here, here, here are some Romans 15, verse 4 truth from David's life. 11 words that God wants to speak to a few people in this room. Myself definitely included. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Yeah, you've been waiting, right? You've been waiting for it to turn around. You've been waiting to push through that. You've been waiting for things to be different. You've been waiting to rise above it. You've been waiting for things to be different. You've been waiting for God to use you. But listen, listen, God's timing any time. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. And for 14 years, David is hiding in caves and constantly singing about the greatness of his God, like in Psalm 27. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 14 years in cave, hiding, someone trying to kill me with a wanted poster on my head. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says to us, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. It takes courage to wait. And it's hard to wait on God if our God is in the box. Because we begin to think, you know what? If this is going to happen, i got to make it happen. What do I got to do? I have to find some way to make it happen because it's not happening yet. And David said, you know what? I'm just going to wait on God. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I'm going to wait on him to do the things that he has promised would happen. So He waits. In 2 Samuel 5, verse 4, we read David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 40 years. 14 years waiting, 40 years reigning. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Amen? In the final chapter, we're going to look at God's grace anywhere. And chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, David enters a dark period of his life. It lasted over a year. Begins when he commits adultery with the wife of one of his top military officers. Followed by Bathsheba's unwanted and unexpected pregnancy. Followed by David doing everything he could to hide and cover up the sin, even up to murdering Bathsheba's husband. Then God sends his prophet, Nathan, to confront David with the sin he had tried to hide for over a year. And David not only repented of that sin, but he went public and wrote two songs that became number one hits on iTunes, Israel Tunes, right? <laughs> iTunes and YouTube. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. God's grace, it can be found anywhere. Hey, listen. There's no place that you'll ever be that's beyond grace. There's no place that you ever be that is beyond the reach of the grace of God. No matter how far you've fallen, no matter how dark the path that you walk, you will never reach a place that is outside the reach of God's grace. Amen? That's some good news. I don't care who you are. And here's, one, here's some words from one of those songs, David writes. Blesses is the one whose transgressions, Psalm 32, are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Blesses is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, maybe you've been here, maybe you are there right now, trying to hide, cover up some sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It's terrible, man, everything. I'm going around faking it. I'm going to the temple every Sunday. Everybody thinks I'm the king. Everybody thinks I got it going on, but inside I know what's really going on, and I'm riding the king inside, and it's killing me. I'm going through the motions, but it's just killing me to pretend that I'm something I'm not. And he says, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Like while you have time, right? Because we're not always going to have time to ask for forgiveness. Like one day we're going to die and then it's over, right? So while we have time, right? Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. I'm not hiding sin anymore. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Go ahead and pop up that last slide. So, how big is your God? Do you believe, really believe that your God can use anybody to do anything? at any time, and that his grace can be found anywhere. Do you believe that? And and which one is God wanting you to believe right now? Maybe you want you to believe that he can use anybody because you're thinking there's nothing I can really do for God. Or, or, Or maybe you're facing something that's so big and overwhelming to you. And God wants you to believe that, hey, my power can do anything. Maybe you're waiting. <laughs> How stinking long is it gonna to take to see this happen? Or maybe you think that envy has convinced you that some for some reason your sin has pushed you beyond the reach of God's grace. How big is your God? See, the basic problem with Christianity is is our concept of God. And I just have a a few statements as we wrap up. And I'm going to use the words your and you. So, a lot of times I don't want to do that because it makes me seem like, you know, I'm here and you're all the, you know, I'm some pious spiritual dude that, cool, uh, that blow my own trumpet like that, right? That I'm some, you know, that, that I got it all together, right? That I don't sin, I don't mess up, I don't think bad thoughts, man. If you get inside my head sometime, I don't know if you'd be sitting out there today, right? You know, when I say I'm messed up, just like you're messed up, I'm speaking the absolute truth, right? So a lot of times I don't want to you and you and your cause it can seem like, well, I'm the pastor and or the preacher or whatever name people want to use, you know, and 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 I'm talking down to you, and only if you could be like me, right? Um, so I try to avoid that, but right now I just want to do it because I I I want you to hear what God may be saying to you today. If you're God's Job description reads, make my life more comfortable and convenient, your God is too small. If your God says things to you like, don't take a risk and play it safe, your God is too small. If your God's job is to obey you and to do what you want when you want him to do, if your God is nothing more than a a genie and a lamp that exists to grant your wishes, your God is too small. If your God loves Americans more than he loves Iranians, if he loves Republicans more than he loves Democrats, if your God is always saying come but never saying go, your God is too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your life plans, if your God never makes you do something that isn't in the budget, then your God is too small. If your God is unable to pull off that dream, that task that you felt he called you to do because it's taken so long, your God is too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with tears because of his mercy and taken your breath away because of his power, then your God is too small. If your God's dream for you is for you to make a lot of money and retire and then take it easy for the rest of your life, your God is too small. If your God says, oh, you've worked hard enough in that marriage, now I just want you to be happy, your God is too small. If your God looks at your sin of greed or of lust or bitterness or unforgiveness and says, hey, you know what, it's no big deal, you're doing better than most people, then your God is too small. If your God is not able to help you rise above and overcome that hurt, that habit, or that hang up, then your God is too small. If your God says you're too young, you're too old, you're too broken, you're too poor, you're too late, you're too guilty, you're too ordinary, you're too weak, then your God is too small. Because brothers and sisters, we worship a God who can use anybody, a God who can do anything, a God whose timing is any time, and a God whose grace can be found anywhere. Did I set an alarm to tell me to stop? Oh it is hold is this is God. Yeah, God, I think they're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, at home, they're paying attention too? Yeah. I know, I know, I went over. Sorry. Yeah, I'll do better next week. All right. Okay. Thanks, like God. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we love you and you're so big and you're so great and how good to know that you can use anybody because I look in the mirror sometimes and I have no idea how or why you would want to use somebody like me and God I'm so encouraged that your power can do anything God because at times I feel so weak and my strength feels like it is gone but you can do anything and God you know, help us, help me to trust in your timing. Because sometimes we wait for things and they haven't happened yet, but just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. And God, you're so great, your grace is so powerful that there's nowhere, there's no place we can hide, there's no place we can go. The highest heavens, the lowest earth, no mountain, no valley, no place we can go where your grace can not find us and reach us and reclaim us and redeem us so great, Lord. And I just pray as we sing this song that your Holy Spirit moves in our lives and and that we realize you're so big and we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.